I think it's got 14 chapters, if I remember correctly, and um, fairly fairly small book. And uh, he's known as the uh, minor, one of the minor prophets, not because what he had to say was minor, but because of the actual length of the book. It's not like an Isaiah or a Jeremiah or something along those lines. <clears throat> but um, Hosea's ministry is primarily to uh, the nation of Israel, the ten tribes that are the northern kingdom. So he's serving uh, towards the end of Israel's um, sovereignty as a nation by themselves and not being under captivity. This He's actually there during the time when Israel uh, falls and is kind of the last-ditch efforts of God uh, showing and extending grace to the northern kingdom of Israel trying to uh, get them to come back to him. And uh, he's a contemporary with uh, Isaiah. Uh, and uh, uh, is, is serving around that same time period that Isaiah would be uh, serving him. The, uh, the story of Hosea, if you take time to read through it, the book is divided primarily into two parts. Uh, in chapters 1 through 4, uh, we find the story of him marrying uh, Gomer, uh, which, who was his wife, and uh, the adulterous uh, nature of her and how she had uh, a wandering eye and would always uh, uh, and, and ended up leaving Hosea and pursuing other men. And uh, the story of uh, that lifestyle and how it led her to a place where she was eventually sold in the slave markets. Uh, the men that had used her and abused her. And uh, then uh, chapters uh, from chapter 4 through the end of the book, through uh, chapter 14, uh, we find a focus of uh, Hosea's faithfulness to Gomer and how it pictures, and God used this, this uh, situation, if you will, to help Israel visualize or see what they were doing to him. And uh, the unfaithfulness of Gomer, uh, her, uh, they had three kids. They had two boys and a girl. And after all three kids were born, she leaves Hosea. And uh, she goes uh, and begins adulterous affairs with other men. And God uses Hosea to teach the nation of Israel that this is exactly what they're doing with him. Uh, that they have left and been unfaithful to God. They have pursued other gods. Because of their idolatry, and we've talked about this so many times before, and it's amazing that there's a common thread in all of these prophetic books that we're going through where these prophets come to Israel or Judah, depending on which, uh, whether they're serving in the northern kingdom or southern kingdom, and they're dealing with God bringing judgment on them primarily for two reasons in almost every situation. Uh, it is uh, idolatry and adultery and fornication, uh, the immorality of the nation. And isn't it amazing that when you turn from God and you begin to pursue other things, that it's not very long before your morals begin to go down the hill as well. And uh, the nation of Israel and Judah both were involved quite often in marrying the heathen uh, around them, and they weren't supposed to do that. God had told them not to do that. Uh, but they would marry the heathen around them, and because of their uh, the sway that they held over them, they would oftentimes bring their gods with them, their, their false idols. And it wasn't very long before Israel would begin worshiping those. And, and by the way, we don't ever find, not one time, do we ever find Israel 
marrying and intermarrying with the, the, the other nations around them, we don't find even one time where they remained faithful and brought those people to Christ. What we always find is those people dragging them away from the Lord. And that ought, to be, that ought to be an easy principle for us to find in Scripture. That you're not going to, you're not going to join as, a, as a, uh, an acquaintance, even as a, as a dear friend or in a husband-wife situation or a dating situation. You're not going to be able to yoke unequally with an unbeliever and, and expect that the odds are in your favor that you're going to draw them to Christ. It does happen on extremely, extremely rare occasions, but don't just assume that uh, that uh, that's going to happen with you because we find over and over and over again so many illustrations of it working the opposite way. And uh, this is one of those where Israel uh, was really going through a time of prosperity. Uh, Hosea serves for over 40 years. That's a long time to be preaching to the nation of Israel. And when he begins his preaching, Israel is going through a time of prosperity. And that makes the message that Hosea brings to them very difficult for them to swallow. In fact, there's some ridicule that they give to him because they say, you're talking about God's bringing judgment, and here we are living well. Our enemies are not around. We're living independent, and money's well, and the crops are doing well, and here you are talking about God bringing judgment. And so they wouldn't listen to him. And he serves for 40 years, and he serves through... Uh, six different kings, and uh, which is a pretty amazing ministry. He's very faithful. Um, it's a it's a story of one sided love, and that really sums up the book in a in a nutshell. Uh, Hosea loved Gomer, and Gomer certainly uh, did not love uh, Hosea. Well, the amazing thing about the story, if you've never taken time to read it, after uh, Gomer leaves him and goes into adultery and lives a sinful lifestyle that causes her to go uh, into uh, the, the slave market and, and be put up for, for sale. Uh, Hosea comes and he buys her back. And he buys her back for a great price. And there's a principle that is found in that, and that is this, that Hosea's love for Gomer was not dependent upon her love for him. It wasn't a conditional love. It wasn't a, I'll love you if you'll love me back. And it pictures so vividly, does it not, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, His love for us has never been dependent upon whether or not we loved Him back. He loved us, the Bible says, when we were unlovable. He loved us while we were yet sinners. He loved us. And it's a wonderful picture, a powerful book, 14 small chapters in our Bible, that I think there's no better illustration in Scripture given of Christ's love for us than the story of Hosea. What a tremendous uh, book. Uh, Hosea's loyalty to Gomer, uh, of course, is a wonderful picture. Um, But one of the things that he does deal with as he comes to prophesy to the nation of Israel is he does preach very boldly about God's holiness and God's justice. His impending justice is coming. And, uh, and yet, through all of that, uh, God is a holy God. We need to understand that. God is a just God. We, we just spoke uh, last Wednesday night uh, as the third angel spoke. And uh, 
He said that the, the, this judgment, this wrath of the Lord is coming. And it's, it's now here. And he said it's, it's coming. Uh, they're going to have to drink uh, in the way that the, the, the Revelation words it. Uh, it said he's, they're going to drink of the wine of the wrath of his indignation. Without, uh, I, I'm trying to remember the word it uses, but basically without being diluted, without uh, having added anything to it. And when we read that passage, uh, it tells us that even though God has for thousands of years extended judgment in, in the face of sinful man, or I'm sorry, extended mercy in the face of general sinful man, that it, there is going to come a time where God is going to bring His full wrath and His full judgment, and He's going to do it without mercy. I'm thankful that we've had the privilege to live in a time where God's mercy is extended, where we have the choice. And... Uh, why a man would not choose the mercy of God, I don't understand. Why he would forsake that and turn from that, I don't understand that. But it happens all over the world, does it not? And I think Satan has blinded the eyes and has caused many people not to see that it's God's mercy. They look at him as a judgmental God. And certainly God is judgmental, but he has every right to be. He is holy. And his justice is always right. There's never a time where we can ever condemn God for his judgment and His justice on us, because we deserved it. And uh, so, uh, even though God is holy, and Hosea deals with this towards the end of the book, he deals with God's holiness and His justice on the nation of Israel. But even in the course of that, God still extends to Israel His love and His grace. And He says, even though there's going to come some, some chastening, even though there's going to be some, some judgment that takes place, I will have a day where I will bring you back again. And I will restore you again. And uh, I, I love the fact that even though God sometimes chastens us, uh, He doesn't just cut us off. Uh, he's waiting there with open arms uh, to take us back. The writer of uh, the book of Hosea, of course, is Hosea himself. We find that in chapter 1 and verse 1. If you'll look with me there. The Bible says, The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Barry, uh, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So during all of those reigns of those kings uh, is the extended period of the time that he serves. Uh, he lives and serves mainly in the northern kingdom, although his message certainly was heard by people even in Judah in the southern kingdom. And uh, they took heed to it probably more so than the northern kingdom. And we've been studying in, in the past few months how Judah was a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more in tune with what God was saying and oftentimes would um, have periods or times of coming back to the Lord and doing right, more so than the northern kingdom. And so God extends His judgment for Judah a, a little longer before He brings judgment on them. And, uh, but but uh, his, his primary ministry is to the northern kingdom. Um, we know that he's from the northern kingdom because in his book he speaks quite uh, clearly about some of the situations there. Uh, in chapter 7, in verse number 2, if you'll turn over there with me for a moment. Uh, in verse number 2, the Bible says, uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. Let's back up to verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria... So he's speaking here of uh, Samaria, for they committed falsehood 
and the thief cometh in, and the troop of robbers spoiled without, and they considered not their hearts, that I remember all the wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king, and this phrase of the king is in reference to the king of Samaria. So already at this point, Samaria is um, bringing the northern kingdom of Israel into subjection. I am um, not positive that at the writing of chapter 7 it has fully taken place. But certainly by this time, Hosea refers to the king, the one that they look to as the king, as the king of Syria, not the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So already there is some subjugation that's taken place. And already God's judgment is, is coming. Um, Hosea, because of the personal life and situation that he's brought into, uh, his experience with Gomer and the, the, the adultery and the brokenheartedness of that, uh, he's in a unique place to preach the message that God wants him to preach. And I want to bring out a point of this that I want to try to encourage some people with. Hosea is able to preach with very good clarity and boldness what God's Word is about judgment coming on Israel. But he's able to temper it with a heart of understanding and a heart of mercy. Uh, he's very, very passionate in his delivery because he, he can relate to what God is feeling in some ways. In some ways. Uh, we can never fully know the heart of God but we can experience some of the sorrow that he feels. And because of the sorrow that Hosea felt and his, his ability to, to, to parallel his situation with Israel's rejection uh, of God, he's able to feel a lot like what God feels with uh, Israel's rejection. So he's able to, I would say, be more effective in preaching and sharing with the nation of Israel what God has for him to do. And I, I want to bring out a point here, because I've had, uh, in recent days even, I've had uh, a few folks that I've been working and trying to help and encourage that are going through some really just very, very heartbreaking, troubling times, very difficult times. And um, one of the things that I, I shared with them, and it's something that um, I had to learn the hard way, <laughs> uh any of you ever have to learn it the hard way? How many of you would rather learn it the easy way if you just would pay attention? I wish God could teach me easier sometimes. But I had to learn it the hard way. I had to go through some things, and God knew I had to, to learn this principle. And that is this. There are some times that you go through trials, you go through problems, and our first, our first thought is always inward, isn't it? It's always, why is this happening to me? Thoughts, thoughts come to mind like, Lord, uh, I've been faithful. I've been serving you. And, and look, where this, look where I am right now. Do you realize where I am? Why is this happening to me? And those thoughts enter our minds time, from time to time, don't they? Uh, I've been there, and I see a lot of head shaking. I think a lot of people have been there at these points. There are sometimes. And I think Jose is a good picture of this. That God will put us through something that is very difficult for us to go through. A lot of tears are shed, a lot of brokenheartedness. But He does so because He knows that we will learn from it, that we'll be strengthened by it. 
and that He can trust us with the situation so that when we get on the other side of it and God has made things better and life is a lot different than it used to be, we're able to be a help to others that are going through it. You ever thought of that? Sometimes it's not all about us. Sometimes it's not all about God uh, bringing something into our lives. I preached a message a number of years ago, and I think it's a question we ought always ask when things are troubling in our lives. And that is this, are we a Job or are we a Jonah? Both of them went through unbelievable problems. One of them because he was faithful. The other because he was not faithful. And I do think that we ought always ask that question. Lord, are you doing this because you trust me with the situation and you're checking and trying my faith or demonstrating my faith so someone else can be encouraged by it? Or am I needing to get some things right in my life? Is this a chastening that I need to deal with? And I think we need to always look at that. I I, I think so many times as Christians, um, we like to opt to the side of Job all the time. Well, God, I've been faithful and here's all this stuff happening. Well, sometimes God may be chastening. And we need to ask that question. But we also need to realize that there are times, and this is why I think Paul so clearly said over and over again that he would glory in his infirmities. Because he realized that when he was weak, it was when God could show himself the most strong. And he realized that when God brought him through those things, he was able to take and preach and to help others in a tremendous way. Uh much better than he could have had he not experienced it himself. I remember when my dad uh, had cancer uh, a number of years ago, and he had been faithful, probably one of the, in my opinion, and again, I hope we all feel this way about our families, but in my opinion, probably one of the, one of the godliest men I've ever known. And he's faithful. He preached faithful. And when he got sick, and it was a long-term sickness and a lot of suffering, I didn't understand that, and I, I, I had a lot of conversations with the Lord over that. And I, some of them I'm not real proud of. Some of them I would, would argue with God and be like, Lord, I just don't see this. Why are you putting him through these things? And um, my dad, of course, the, the Lord gave him great grace, great grace. I've never seen anybody handle anything like that. And um, he wanted to preach, and he was so, so weak and so much in pain. And we'd get two staff men to walk him up to the platform every service. And he'd grab a hold of the pulpit. As long as he could hold on to the pulpit, he would preach. And uh, he preached up until just about a week and a half before he went into a coma. Uh, unbelievably uh, pain and unbelievable. And I, as, a, as, a, as a son, and you can imagine, some of you have been through something similar. As a son, you can imagine how you feel about that. You begin to, if you're not careful, get upset at God, begin to get angry, you'd be like, Lord, why are you doing this? And I did not understand it. God gave my dad grace to get through it, but I'll be real frank with you. God's grace was very real to our family, but there were moments and there were times where uh, I struggled with why God was doing this. And uh, after he passed away, and I was the pastor at the church there, Uh, after he passed. In the next 12 months, there were four families that went through the same thing. 
And I could go to their bedsides and I could sit there with the family and I could hold their hands and I could pray with them and I could weep with them and say, I understand. And I'll be real frank with you, it was about the second or third one before it dawned on me. Lord, thank you for having me go through as a son watching my dad suffer. And to be able to help these people with the same thoughts that I had and the same struggles that I had and to be able to tell them God is still faithful. He's still going to bring you through it. He's going to give the grace. He's going to give the comfort. And I could say that with a confidence and an assurance that I would have said that anyway. But having gone through it and experienced it firsthand, I was able to say it in, in a much better way and believe it with all of my heart. Not just uh, intellectually, but experientially. I knew that God was faithful, that God was going to give the strength, that God was going to bring them through. And I thought of that as I was studying, getting things ready for this, this study in Hosea. God put Hosea through some personal issues that even though he would have, I think, been faithful to preach the, the, the message God wanted him to preach, there was a, a connection, there was a passion, there was a, a, an empathy in the message that I don't know that Hosea would have had had God not put him through it personally. And so he preaches, and if you read the, the, the messages he preaches, they're phenomenal messages, probably some of the strongest ones you'll hear any of the prophets preach. He preaches with a passion. He preaches with an understanding and a knowledge. And yet he tempers it with, with a heart of tenderness, understanding. And uh, there's some amazing things. He deals with uh, a, a large number of topics with Israel. He deals with their lying. And he deals with their murder. And I mean, he calls them out on these things. He deals with their insincerity, their ingratitude, their idolatry. He deals with covetousness in their lives. And he, is, he does not mince words with it. And he does so with a great passion and a great uh, uh, fervor and, and uh, just, just a diligence to get the message across. He has such a heart and a burden for his people. There are several key passages I want us to look at very quickly, if you would. <clears throat> Let's turn first of all to Hosea chapter number, uh, uh, Hosea chapter 4, verse number 1. These are key verses of this particular book. Hosea chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Notice what he says here, for because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He, he pretty well tells it like it is, doesn't he? He doesn't beat around the bush. He said, y'all need to hear. There's, there's coming some judgment from God, and here's why. When it comes, you're, you're going to be without excuse. There's no truth, there's no mercy, and there's no knowledge of God in the land. And by the way, uh, could we not parallel that with our own country today? It's quickly becoming very much like this, isn't it? God, God will stay His hand for a while, and there will be mercy extended. But there comes a time where there's a reckoning. There comes a time where God says, that's enough. I've been long-suffering enough. I've given plenty of opportunity and yet you've not listened. Another key verse, I think, that is very, very important, that shows so vividly the, 
the judgment of God, but yet His mercy. And uh, let's look in chapter number 11. And let's look down. We're going to read a few verses here in chapter 11, starting with verse number 7. Hosea chapter 11 and verse number 7. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. This is, this is their inclination. This is what their, their heart desires. It's what the word bent here means. My people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call them, uh, though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as uh, Zeboim? Uh, mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. In these verses, we see that, yes, God is going to bring some judgment. But in verse number 8, He says, How shall I give thee up, O Ephraim? Yes, there's going to be judgment, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to have a moment where I'm going to bring you back to me. And he talks about the fact, he says, How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? He talks about his heart is turned within him, and his repentings are kindled together. And then he makes a statement, I love this. It, it, it coincides with the, the passage in the New Testament that talks about the fact that uh, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts, and they're far above us. Because he says in verse number 9, he says, uh, For I am God and not man. You say, well, why would God do that? Because He's God. Why would God extend justice, but then in the same breath say, but I'm not going to destroy you. I'm still going to give you another shot. I'm still going to restore you back to myself. Why would He do that? Because He's God. He's not man. He thinks things differently than we do. He sees things differently than we do. Chapter 4 is probably the best uh, chapter to use as kind of a central theme of the book. If you take time to read that chapter, it's kind of a key chapter for it. Uh, the Christ of Hosea, we see two pictures of Christ uh, very very clearly. One of them uh, is uh, in chapter 11. We're already there in verse number 1. Let's look at that real quick, and I'll show it to you uh, how that this uh, prophecy is fulfilled. When Israel was a child, when I loved him... And called, notice this, he says, and called my son out of Egypt. And this is a direct prophetic uh, de declaration of the fact that the Son of God will be called out of Egypt. Some people say, well, no, that's just return, referring to Israel as a nation. He's referring to Israel as his son. But he speaks of Israel very clearly here in verse number uh, 1, uh, being a child and uh, how he loved him. But then he talks about the fact that his son will be called out of Egypt. And there is certainly the picture of Israel being called out of Egypt, is there not? A wonderful picture. And we've talked about that a lot. Now, take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter number 2. Because now we're speaking here of the Lord Jesus Christ and Him coming on the scene. And verse number 15. Matthew chapter number 2 and verse number 15. And was there until the death of Herod, speaking of Egypt, uh, there's the young child and mother departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Now, the prophet's not mentioned here, but the prophet was Hosea, who said this. He said, out of Egypt 
have I called my son. It's a direct quote from uh, Hosea's prophecy. So we're dealing here, yes, there is a type and a picture of Israel being called out of Egypt that is picturing the literal calling out of Egypt of the Lord Jesus Christ, and He fulfills prophecy in every aspect and in every form. Um, uh, so, uh, again, just a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here. And then, uh, the entirety of the story is a wonderful picture of Christ. The redeeming love uh, that uh, Hosea has for Gomer, unconditional, the fact that he's faithful to her, the fact that his love is not dependent upon Gomer reciprocating that love, um, but it is dependent upon his own faithfulness to her. And another picture of, of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, that His love is not dependent upon us. I think, if, if anything, it ought to cause us to love Him more when we understand that fact. That His love is extended regardless of our love for Him. And what a joy it is. So, great book. If you've never taken time to read it, it's a small one. You can probably read it in one sitting, one afternoon. And uh, it's a wonderful story. And wonderful truths there. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it. And Lord, help us today to learn and to glean the things from your book that you would want us to. And help us to grow daily to become more of what you want us to be. Uh, Dismiss us now with your blessings. Bless the service to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.